The moon hangs fat and swollen in the night sky, a rotten yoke threatening to spill its pale poison. Each night it waxes, my dread grows thicker in my throat. Tonight, the ache behind my ribs isn't the usual dull throb. It's a live wire burning against my heart. Tonight is closer to the full. Tonight might be the night I lose the battle. My shack isn't much to look at. Four bare walls, a dirt floor, barely a roof worthy of the name. It's in the farthest woods, tucked away from prying eyes. Most folks never come out this way, and those who do, well, they usually don't come back to report my strange little hovel. There's a chain coiled under my cot, thick, hand-wrought links, each marked with an elder rune to hold back the beast inside me. I hate the sight of it, and even more, I hate the necessity of it. This is my ritual. Wait for the ache to turn white hot. Pray that it turns back down before the full moon crests the sky. If not, well, then begins the agonizing crawl. Drag the chain with palsied hands, wind it around my legs, my torso, finally snapping the iron collar shut around my neck. There's a rough-hewn stake driven into the earth. Two smaller chains extend from it. I click my shackled wrists into place and slump against the post, feeling its gnarled bark gouge against my back. Every second is a countdown now. My breaths come fast, shallow rasps echoing the rustle of dead leaves on the wind. Tonight is bad. I can feel the beast clawing its way to the surface, an itch under my skin. Sweat streaks icy channels down my ribs. This close, there's a wrongness to my scent, a taint of rotten meat and wet fur. My vision tunnels, everything but the hateful white orb of the moon fading from focus. I roar, or try to, the sound strangled into a pathetic whimper by the collar choking me. It's starting. My hands twitch, then clench into fists so hard I fear the brittle bones might snap. But it's nothing to how my jaw aches, a need to gnash and rend welling up in a rising howl. This is the worst of it, the in-between. Man withstanding an onslaught from within, neither fully himself nor fully the other. A flash of something, memory, hallucination, I can't tell, cuts through the red haze. A girl, maybe seven or eight years old, with dandelion fuzz hair and eyes the color of summer cornflowers. In the blink before she vanishes, her laughter turns to a scream. There's the heavy stench of blood and a shape that's all teeth and matted fur looming over her. That vision always brings a searing moment of clarity. Not enough to conquer it, the thing writhing inside me, but enough to find a grim sort of purpose. If that little girl... If what I become took her, then this torment is my penance. The change always begins in the hands. Fingers elongating, nails curving into talons. I dig them into the packed earth, fighting the transformation inch by inch. My screams mingle with the mournful wail of a night wolf somewhere in the distance. It's a grim lullaby. This time, the shift goes further. Muscles in my back and shoulders tear with monstrous pops. With a sickening crack, my spine lengthens. There's no mirror to show me the monstrous parody of a man I am becoming, and in a sense that's a mercy. When the pain eases and my mind becomes a fog of hunger and bloodlust, 
it is less terrible than these moments of agonizing awareness. Less terrible and far more dangerous. My restraints grown, not enough. In one last flash of human thought, I hurl a desperate prayer into the mocking moonlight. If anything remains of who I once was, let me break free before the night ends. Let me die, instead of adding fresh corpses to the tally of sins committed by this foul thing inside me. But even when the chains snap like rotted twine, a shred of desperate resistance holds firm. This night, perhaps, there will still be a sliver of dawn remaining when the beast fully rises. I don't remember blacking out, yet somehow I must have. One moment I'm a monstrous mockery of a man, chained and straining against encroaching madness. The next, I wake to bone-deep exhaustion and the fading taste of copper in my mouth. Pain thrums in time with the rising sun, not the sharp agony of transformation, but the dull, grinding soreness that follows. Even a healing sliver of dawn light burns my eyes. With a ragged groan, I roll onto my stomach and haul myself upright. It gets easier, or maybe just less strange, with each forced awakening. First, I check the chains, snapped clean through. Some links lie twisted like taffy, discarded far from the stake. There's a fresh trail of gouges from where I thrashed and dragged myself away. It isn't pretty, but the beast has never managed to roam too far on the nights I held on this long. Second, the grim accounting. Every new dawn in this wretched half-life is a gamble. My clothes are nothing but damp rags. Blood smears across my bare chest and hands. Some of it might be mine, but, but some of it's a darker, slicker crimson. Something crunches under my boot as I turn to survey the area. Scattered bones gleam white in the growing light. They're small, animal bones. Relief courses through me like a balm, followed swiftly by a wave of revulsion. This close. One night this close to crossing the unforgivable line again. It was a rabbit this time. Or, God help me, a stray cat. But next time, fear fuels my numb movements. Each bone gets buried, a pathetic penance. There's a stream snaking at the edge of my clearing. I make my way there and scrub the blood from my skin with icy water and handfuls of sand. It leaves me shivering and not as clean as I wish. My shack is little more than a ruin with this dawn. I need to scavenge materials and try to rebuild. Maybe there's enough untainted timber to salvage enough boards. Food isn't much an issue. Whatever meat this thing hunts down at night keeps my human half barely sustained. Not pleasant, but another necessary evil. With the first pangs of true hunger in my belly, I look to the woods and hesitate. This land is familiar now, my morbid territory. And the longer I spend out here, the more likely the thing will awaken in the full light of day. But with my shelter in ruins, there isn't a choice. Tomorrow I start the walk towards town. Find supplies, try to get news without setting folks to panicking. I always dread facing human eyes, smelling clean laundry and cooked bread. All those reminders of what I've lost. And I always need new chains. My blacksmith is the only soul who knows part of my gruesome secret, and only because there's no hiding what it takes to break those iron links. It's a miserable way to live, no hope of freedom, only the struggle to avoid being the villain of my own story, 
and somehow, even knowing that, it's better than the alternative. Three nights pass without incident. Well, incident of the monstrous variety. Foraging has been fruitful, if your idea of fruitful includes gnawing on half-raw squirrels and shivering under a lean-to of branches and damp moss. That gnawing hunger seems sharper somehow. My dreams, such as they are, are thick with the stench of blood and the gleam of yellow eyes. Even with my meager repairs, the shack offers precious little shelter from the unseasonal chill seeping into the air. Every crack of a twig at night sets my heart pounding. It's time. If I wait any longer, that gnawing hunger will turn desperate enough to overrule my iron will. The two-day walk into town feels interminable. With every mile, the trees look a little more crowded, the shadows between them a little more eager. It takes gritting my teeth against a rising growl to avoid running. Flight always makes it worse, stirs the predator beneath my skin. Better to let the human half cling to sanity for as long as possible. Finally, the familiar cluster of houses and crooked barn roofs emerges from the trees. In this light, with exhaustion biting deep, it looks almost idyllic. Smoke drifts from chimneys, mingling with the sweet, sharp smell of the smithy. Even though I walk into town deliberately, as if I have all the right in the world to be here, an old prickle of fear crawls up my spine. These folk know me as an oddity, the recluse out in the woods, but never, never truly suspect what darkness I harbour. It's Jacob who spots me first, boys sharp-eyed from hanging around his father's forge. No outright alarm registers on his freckled face, but I sense the startled pause just before he bellows, Pa! That woodsman is back! Mortimer, the blacksmith, emerges from his smoky domain, wiping his beefy hands on a rag. In the sunlight, his squint makes him look less friendly and more suspicious. A reasonable reaction under the circumstances. Back indeed. Needs more of those chains, I'll wager. Mortimer rumbles. He knows just enough, no more. To spell it out would bring panic, or a torch-wielding mob out to my hovel. We both pretend this is some simple chore. Buying supplies for fencing in livestock, perhaps. Yet there's always a silent tension in these transactions. In his eyes, I catch the fleeting thought. How long before those chains won't be enough? That and some decent lumber. My roof gave way, I reply striving for a neutral tone. I don't mention the scattered bones, nor the gouges in the earth from where I dragged myself back last dawn. Some secrets must just fester unspoken. Lumber you'll find in plenty, Mortimer grunts, eyes fixed on my face. Then, after a long moment, he jerks his chin at Jacob. See to the iron, extra thick this time. That unspoken bargain my payment for keeping his town safe in exchange for tools to secure myself once more sets a bitter taste in my mouth. But as I make my purchases, it's mingled with an echo of gratitude. One less person knows the full truth, one less person in danger if, or really, when, I slip my leash again. The return journey seems even longer, even more so with the added weight of thick timber balanced awkwardly on my shoulders and the unsettling bulk of freshly forged chain draped around my neck. But something else feels wrong, too. There's a sense of being stalked, an invisible gaze burning a hole into my back. 
Every so often, the hair on my nape prickles, the beast stirring just under the surface, senses alert. The shadows between the trees look hungry. An owl's eerie screech makes me jump, then curse my skittishness. This fear, it feeds both of us, the man and the monster within. And the longer I carry this burden, the heavier it becomes. At the clearing's edge, I stop dead. It's not just nerves anymore. There's a wrongness in the air, thicker than the creeping twilight. The shack. It isn't the pathetic ruin I left, but it isn't right either. There are fresh drag marks in the dirt, too heavy to be my doing. Something big was here. Then I see it, half hidden behind a tree, a splash of dull brown on the snow-patched ground. My stomach churns, fur, no, not of any creature I'd hunt, too soft, too long. My mind conjures an image, a familiar hunting coat, stained with crimson and torn to shreds. Mortimer, or worse, that sharp-eyed boy of his. Mortimer? The word dies in my throat as I force myself to push ahead. I move slowly, cautiously, eyes darting to every shadowy tangle of underbrush. It's foolish, the beast won't hide and ambush its prey, but a sliver of terrified humanity persists. Even though it's my scent the predator would have followed, this feels like stepping into an open trap. Then, from within the darkness of my broken shelter, comes a sound that steals the breath from my lungs. A wet cough, followed by a whimper. And then a single word, rasped and desperate. Help! In that instant, every choice boils down to the simplest of struggles. Man against monster, fear against something. More. If fear wins, there will be another bloody dawn, another tally mark on my monstrous side. But if not, what else lurks inside my twisted hovel? Decision claws its way up my throat, hot and desperate, and I force it down. Not out of courage, but out of the grim understanding that to lose now would be a fate worse than death. If my beast was loose already, it would have revealed itself with fangs. Instead, there's this trap, this lure. Perhaps not for me, but for someone else. Mortimer, or another innocent from town, would come looking for their lost kin. The beast inside is twisted, clever enough to use my desperate act of survival against me. I circle the shack, not an ounce of stealth at my command as I heave timber to build a barricade. Fear makes my hands clumsy. Sweat mixes with melting slush on my skin. Every rasp from within sends a wave of nausea crashing through me. But there is purpose in this terror. I will not break. Tonight, I fight for whoever lies broken on that dirt floor, as much as for the sliver of my own soul still hanging in the balance. With the final log slotted into place, I turn towards the shack. Now it resembles a clumsy cage. The gloom behind those rough bars even denser than the dusk settling over the clearing. Every muscle trembles, less from exertion than the knowledge that it's time. Now the fight will be close, bloody, and without much margin for error. But there's only forward now. From inside, another wet cough. Then a different sound, like scraping, the rustle of brittle leaves across frozen ground. My own hand fumbles for the worn hilt of the hunting knife at my belt. 
It's pathetic against what might lie just beyond that door, but it's better than nothing. There's a word again choked out amidst the rasping coughs. Not help this time, but a name. Jacob. Mortimer's boy. That's all the fuel I need. With a grunt of effort, I shoulder the barricade aside a smidge, just enough to squeeze through. Moonlight cuts a narrow swathe into the hovel, leaving most of the interior still bathed in unsettling shadow. And in that sliver of light I finally see my foe. It's not the horror I envisioned. There's no matted fur or dripping jaws here. But in a way the reality is far worse. The boy lies slumped on the packed earth, eyes glassy with pain, a bandage stained a vile crimson at his thigh. It isn't just the bite that I can see. There's the fever flush to his skin, lips already taking on a bluish tinge. Not beast-inflicted wounds, not directly, but what those teeth carried. Sickness. Infection. I've seen enough dead animals to know what this stench means. He lifts his head, and when he sees me, something crosses his face. Not relief, but a terror almost mirroring my own. This boy knows, or believes he knows. Maybe his father finally risked an honest word in the face of death. Gonna change, ain't you? Jacob's question cracks on every word, but there's a strange sort of courage hidden in there. Thing is, Pa didn't tell me all of it. How does it feel? He's talking to buy time, I realize, and with every ragged breath Jacob draws, it's time I don't have, not to save him from me, but from the poison twisting in his veins. My knife clatters to the floor, useless now. I step in closer, aware of his shrinking back. Fear makes the beast stir beneath my skin, just a shiver in the muscles this time. Fever and pain that burns like cold, I answer, surprising myself with my own honesty. His question has jolted me, stripping away some layer of protective denial. It hits me with a sudden sickening certainty. That beast is part of me. No parasite to cut out, no external curse. It's a rot at my core. Then why? Jacob forces the words out, even as his strength is failing. That's the part I still don't know. I reply harshly. For all my bleak resolve, all that grim struggle against a rising tide of savagery, the root of this curse remains a chilling mystery. But it's secondary now. Kneeling next to the boy, I see what truly terrifies him. The sheen of sweat slicking my skin, the desperate hunger burning in my eyes. But beneath that, a human will fighting the rising tide. One that, for now, somehow remains in control. He flinches when I tear a strip from what's left of my shirt, but with trembling hands I start cleaning the ragged bite wound. Jacob lets out a pitiful moan, but otherwise submits. The stench of rot and infection seems to thicken with each swab. Maybe there's still time. A tiny, foolish sliver of hope that sparks to life against all odds. There's no time for proper cleaning, no hope for healing. Every ragged gasp that escapes Jacob becomes a death rattle. But stubborn desperation keeps me moving. It's all I have left to offer him. Another strip of cloth bound tight. A whispered apology for the pain it causes. My hands don't stop, even as his grow cold. My own body seems aflame, though I know it's just the beast stirring and sensing victory. I'm fighting on two fronts, 
against the fading life beneath my hands and against the monstrous urge to tear myself free and flee into the merciful anonymity of the woods. My ragged breaths match Jacob's now, and in the shack's gloom I barely know whose sweat mingles with the blood soaking the ground. Then it happens. Jacob twitches violently, lets out a choked cry, and goes still. Eyes that stared blankly at the ceiling roll closed. There's nothing left to fight for. For a moment I don't react. No rage, no surge of monstrous triumph. Just an utter hollowness that echoes in the cramped shack. And in that void a thought begins to rise. Terrifying in its clarity. He wasn't the first. That memory of a girl with cornflower eyes was real. And maybe not the only one buried under the haze of beast-ridden nights. But if, with each victim, I remain here, become this hollow thing that only knows survival by a thread, is that really a victory over my true enemy? Or am I just the monster's plaything, bound by a different sort of leash? With that realization comes a decision, an act of defiance against my monstrous half, or perhaps of abject surrender to it, but surrender for a specific purpose. Instead of the ragged stake used to bind myself, I reach for the heavy links of chain and collar forged at Mortimer's hand. There's enough moonlight piercing the gaps to work by now. The cold iron burns against my flesh as I thread a loop through the shack's sturdy, half-rotten beams. My fingers tremble but they keep moving. No time for elaborate traps this time. I snap the collar around my neck, fumble with the links that usually secure my wrists and instead fasten them around the roof beam. This way, there's no chance of fighting free. There's only waiting. For dawn, for the beast, for what comes after. It isn't heroism. It's the twisted repentance of a soul beyond saving. And maybe the last act of mercy of whatever man still clings to life within. As I slump to my knees waiting for the monstrous transformation to finish its work, the air feels strangely peaceful. No struggle, no clash of predator and prey. I hear the hoot of an owl, and below it, the soft rustle of a deer venturing close to the clearing. I know what follows in nature's grim symphony. And with that understanding comes a final shred of grim satisfaction. My death at sunrise won't just save another life. The woods will get a feast before my bones lie scattered like winter twigs in the thawing spring. There's a bleak justice in that. A final return to some warped cycle of life and death that I could never fully escape. I don't sleep as that pale morning light strengthens. That would be too kind a fate. But between the bone-deep exhaustion and the fading grip of my humanity, there's a sort of dreamlike surrender. It almost feels peaceful, if not for the iron collar cutting deeper into my flesh with each strained breath. In these final moments, my mind replays snippets of that blurred past, or maybe hallucinations triggered by the encroaching hunger of the beast. That girl with golden hair stands out the most vividly, an anchor in a storm of fragmented memories. With a jolt, I realize my vision must already be shifting. The edges of the shack and the surrounding world sharpen into focus, my senses amplified with monstrous clarity. That deer on the edge of the clearing isn't far now. 
I can smell the musky tang of its coat and underneath that, the hot promise of blood barely restrained beneath its winter-weakened hide. The hunger burns through me, an inferno. It would take so little. A shift of weight, the chain would groan once and snap like thread. One lunge and there'd be a glorious crimson fountain spraying against the snow. Then warm flesh tearing beneath claws. Then nothing. And now, with monstrous eyes opening upon the world, I know just how wrong that vision is. It isn't just the hunger of a predator that fuels this craving. There's an awful glee in the imagined kill, a thrill not in the chase, but in the suffering. Each glint of panic in the prey's eyes would be reflected joy in my own. Is that what I was becoming? What I already was? Maybe not entirely. I still hear the deer, feel the urge to stalk it, but that frenzied compulsion from before has dulled. There's just enough will left to fight back, to clench against the surge of bloodlust. Yet something has fractured irrevocably within me. I look at my bestial hands, gnarled claws twitching instinctively, and know they will never feel truly clean again. Not after what I carried out to save those now forever beyond my reach. Then it begins. The familiar surge of power, the spine-twisting agony of transformation. This close to the breaking point, it happens quickly. Not the gradual horror of before, but the sense of the human self cracking apart like a too-thin eggshell. My final coherent thought is simple, bleak and oddly liberating. The beast has me now. Or I've simply become it. Either way, it hardly matters. What comes next is not my decision to make. From somewhere far above, I hear the crunch of branches underfoot. Not the wary deer, but something heavier, careless. Humans, more foolhardy than compassionate. It will be over quickly then. As my last remnants of human consciousness drift away, I offer a single silent plea to the woods around me. Let this be the final hunt. For their sake, and whatever shreds of mercy might yet lie buried within this monstrous form.